kids. Uh, this is what we do every Sunday before we jump into the passage. We, we pause, we, we give our young ones a heads up of this is what the passage is going to be about, this is what the sermon is going to be about. So a uh, little intro here at the beginning. Uh, to kick it off, young ones, who knows what series we're in right now? Who knows what book of the Bible we're, we're going through right now? Sanders? Oh my gosh, that was supposed to be a trick question, but he got it. Second Corinthians. Yes, okay. But this is the new, like, we're just starting a series today, so this is really good. Uh, okay, uh, question for you kids. Another question. Anyone here ever broken a bone? Just raise your hand. Have you ever broken a bone? Sanders has. No, kids, young ones. Bone breakers. Sanders, what bone have you broken? Your ankle. He did that just recently. That's not, okay. Kids, when you break a bone, if you did ever break a bone, or if you ever got really, really hurt, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? Henry, you, you do what? Yeah, cry out, oh, oh, my bone, my ankle, or my, stub my toe, my nose. Like, and then what do you do? So the first thing you do is you cry out in pain, and then you go to a doctor. Good. But how are you going to get to, I mean, how are you going to get to a doctor? Luke, how are you going to get to a doctor? Do you drive, Luke? You don't? Uh, well, then, so what do you got to do before you get in that car? You got to, Grace, you run to your parent. You run to mom. You run to dad, crying out, oh, my ankle is broken. I broke my ankle. What? So you run. Okay, when I was a kid, when I was like in first or second grade, me and my best friend were out front, and we were doing some karate. We are doing some wrestling, right? And I do this unbelievable flying jump kick at him, and, uh, and I got him. I got John really good. And John fell back, and he tried to, tried to catch himself, but he fell on his arm, and he got up from the ground. Oh, my, oh my arm, my arm. I'm like, dude, you're okay, you're okay, because I knew John's parents, and they, they were hard. They were hard on me. They, you know, it's just like, I was like, oh, man, now I'm in trouble with John's parents. And I was like, let me see your arm, dude. He showed me his arm, and his arm went like this. Like huge, like an elbow where there's not supposed to be an elbow thing uh, in the arm. And I'm like, oh, man, oh, John, no. <laughs> He's like, mom, I'm like, no, 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 don't tell your mom. Don't tell your mom. Like, what, what, what did he have to do? He had to tell his mom. And so he runs and he tells his mom because he's hurt. Okay, so um, when you get hurt, yeah, you run to your mom. You run to your dad. You run to a doctor. Uh, who else should you run to when you're, I mean, think about this. When you're, when you're scared, when you're lonely, when you're not feeling good. Luke wants this one. Go. Pray. Pray. Oh, my goodness. Like, and look around you. Because you pray to God, you run to God, and, and what's the awesome thing of you're not the only one praying? If you look around you, who else do you have in your life when you're hurt, when you're scared, when you're lonely? You have what? We have God, and we have Jesus, and we have Grace, the Holy Spirit. We've got the trifecta. We have our... We have our parents. Yes, look, your parents may be sitting next to you. Who else do you have? Who else is sitting next to you? Like in front of you, behind you. You have your neighbor. You have, you have other Christians. You have the church. And what do we say the church is? The church is a family. God has given us to each other so that, so that you, when things are hard, you are not alone. You can run to each other. 
and say, oh my goodness, this is so hard. And the person you're running to is going to say, I know. And you know what? I love you. And I'm with you. And you know who else is with you? Who else is with you? God. God is with you. Jesus, he's with you. And that's the great comfort in our suffering. When we run to each other like, I'm hurt, I'm scared, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I feel like God isn't with me. We stand there and we say, he is. I don't know why this is, I don't know why the, you've got this hard stuff going on, but I know this, Jesus loves you. And he's died to save you. And that's the great comfort is that yes, stuff is hard right now and Jesus knows it's hard right now and you can go to him. And you know, last thing, someone once asked me, a young kid once asked me, hey, can I tell God that I am mad at him? What do you think the answer is? Yes, yes, you can. Just like you go to your mom and dad and you say, I'm mad at you. You can go to God and you can pray like, God, I'm, uh, like, I'm mad. I'm mad at you. Like, I'm scared. I don't, uh, like, I don't get it. And you know what God is thinking? He wants you to know that he loves you and he's with you. And one day when Jesus comes back, there will be no more suffering. That's why Jesus is your great comfort. He really does overcome all of our suffering. And we will know that when we are in heaven with him. He is our comfort. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That's what Paul the apostle is going to tell us in 2 Corinthians right at the beginning in our new summer series. This letter, uh, this is the letter that the apostle Paul writes after 1 Corinthians. So we're just kind of following Paul along in his missionary journeys. We covered 1 Corinthians last fall. Uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians are written to the same church, but they are totally different letters. Like, 1 Corinthians deals with all these divisions that are going on in the church. It's just like, it's, he's systematic. He deals with one division after another. 2 Corinthians, it's just about one big problem. One addresses really one big problem, and it's this. The church doesn't like Paul anymore because they do not like his message. Letter. Next week in chapter 2, we're going to see just how personal it gets, but even here at the beginning, Paul does not waste any time getting to his point. Please stand for the reading of God's words, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with, the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. 
that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf, uh, behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony, testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. It's context. City of Corinth. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's surrounded by ports. It is the gateway of the, of the east and west of the Roman Empire. You want to go from the east to the west, west to the east, you've got to go through Corinth. Uh, it, it's a major trade route. Lots and lots and lots of economic opportunity. It attracted, Corinth attracted people from all over the world, so it was a melting pot of cultures and languages, and it was a wealthy and successful, important port city. And their baseball team was called the Astros. Like those kinds of citizens, like those living in Corinth, those are the kinds of citizens that are coming into the Corinthian church and so they imported that mindset into the church. As in, like, you, you should be successful as a Christian. And your Christianity should be seen by all as this big success story. As people see life work out for you. So the, um, it's the health, wealth, prosperity gospel that's really big in a port city like Houston like that's it's that stuff the health wealth prosperity stuff that's not new it existed in the first church in a city like Houston but now according to this guy Paul the good news about Jesus Christ included suffering not having a bunch of victories in this life but losing not being strong, but being weak and waiting and waiting and waiting. And a lot of people in the Corinthian church, they didn't like this so-called good news. They didn't like it, and so they attacked Paul behind his back, and they tried to take over the church. Another uh, pastor, uh, Todd Bordeaux, who pastors an OPC church called Cornerstone here in Houston, he's actually going to preach for us here in a couple weeks. Uh, he's been super helpful uh, with, for, for me with 2 Corinthians. And he, he puts it like this. Paul's writing this, this second letter to the Corinthian church to expose this problem with the health, wealth, prosperity stuff. He puts it like this, as in Paul is saying, like, you want better promises than God has made. Like, you want full healing of your bodies now. You want health. You want status. You want success. You want political victory. You want to be on top culturally, on top in society now. And that's what you think Christianity should bring. As in, like Paul is saying, you want comfort and no affliction. But the Christian life is not characterized by comfort in the absence of affliction. Paul says the Christian life is characterized by affliction. But, but, 
there is comfort in the affliction. So Paul knows their doubts. He knows their suspicions. Like He knows their grumblings behind his back. <clears throat> he knows the attacks against him. It, they go like, Paul, <clears throat> if you belong to God, why are you always suffering? And Paul answers the objection straight up. He says, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So Paul, if you belong to God, why are you always suffering? And Paul says, I suffer for you for your sake, for your encouragement, so that you know that you're not alone when suffering comes for you, and it will. You know, they say, Paul, your life is a mess. And Paul says, you tell me about it. Like, God has given me this mess of life for your comfort. And when your life gets messy, you're going to remember my mess and that God got me through my mess, and that he's going to get you through yours. And then you're going to be this blessing to others, to others who suffer like you, and you're going to be able to comfort them in their affliction. In a place like Houston, like you are told in so many ways, in just every way, you're told that you should have it together. To admit suffering is to admit that you're a failure. Like in today's health, wealth, happiness, society, so we hide it, and we deny it, and we escape it at all costs, and we, we run to our addictions for comfort, and it can be like that in the church. Like, at, at, you come, even this, you know, our church, church, it looks like, it looks like everybody is doing great, which is so ironic because we say that church is, it's a family and also it's this hospital for the, the spiritually sick. So it's like going down to Memorial Hermann and you walk through the cancer ward and everyone's there and uh, like fake laughing. And when people ask each other how they're doing, they're just like, I'm, oh, I'm great. I'm great. Just having a great day. Like, how are you? And they've got IVs coming out of them. Like in our... It, in our suffering, we want to be able to stand and say, I got this, when we need to imitate Paul and say, I don't got this. And you need to tell your suffering to those who care about you. Friends, parents, your church, each other, your deacons, your elders, your pastor, you need to tell me, you need to tell each other. Paul never hides his darkness. Jesus did not hide his darkness. Like, the night before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew that he knows the cross is coming the next day. And so he tells his friends, his disciples, I'm so overwhelmed with sorrow, I am about to die. We shouldn't hide it. Uh, we should seek comfort in our affliction, admitting that we're in it. And we should share it. As in, if one of your loved ones, if somebody here is suffering, you actually need to draw near to them. And it's, it, it, of course, it's so tempting to, the knee-jerk reaction is to avoid suffering, friends, because it's messing. It's messy, and it's going to cost you. Like, if you're here and they're here, well, they're just going to bring you down here. 
Yeah, that's the point. But then you'll bring them up here. We think they need their space, and they don't. They actually need us to be near. And, and that does not mean drawing near to your suffering uh, uh, church, family, friends. Uh, it does not mean that you need to worry about explaining their suffering to them or giving them an answer for their suffering. Paul is saying it's enough to be there with them and just communicate they are not alone. Because it's also tempting, like when we do draw near, to always feel like we've got to say something to the friend who's suffering. One, di- one danger of like saying too much is you promise something that's actually, that God has not promised. is like, hey, it's going to get better. Well, mm-hmm, you don't know that. Uh, it, or, or it's tempting to explain to them why they are suffering their particular suffering. And I would just say, don't, wor- don't, don't worry about that. Uh, as Paul, when he goes into this thing that almost like where he was despairing of life itself, he does not give us the particulars. He does not explain to us his suffering or the why of his suffering. He doesn't get into it because actually God is the only one who truly knows the why of Paul's particular suffering. And what Paul needs is he just needs the church with him. He needs their prayers. He needs their presence. And he's saying, so do you. Like, that's what you need. You need to know that you're not alone. And your hurting friend, they really, really do just, they just need you to be there. So you can, you can be there. What can you do as you're there? You can listen. You can cry. You can sit in awkward silence. Like, that is okay. You, you can pray for them. And another never, don't, never, never equate their identity with their suffering. The person you're going to, they're more than their cancer. They're more than their abuse. They are more than the consequences of whatever mistakes they have made. Their affliction is not who they are. Actually, it's the comfort in the affliction. That's who they are. What does that mean? Uh, Aside from Jesus, truly no one suffered like Paul did. And the comfort is to look at Paul and all of his suffering and see that God brought him through it and he's still a Christian. And Paul is saying, he he is going to get into this letter, he is not a super Christian. Like, yes, he's an apostle. That does not make him like, oh, he's, he's just got something that you'll never have and that's how he got through. No, he's a Christian. He's got faith. He's got grace. And, and, and the, the comfort is you look at Paul, you see that God brought him through it, and he's still a Christian. The prosperity gospel measures success the way the world measures success. As in, how do you know if God is blessing you and blessing your church? Well, he should answer your prayers the way you want. Your problems should be going away more and more. Like, you're healthy physically, emotionally, financially. Like you, you, feel, you feel good. You look good. You're an influencer. Your church is an influencer. But Paul's gospel, which is Jesus' gospel, is that as you suffer, you remain a Christian. Like the objection, the, the objection from the world, as they look at Christianity, the objection from the world and from those who are beholden to this false prosperity gospel is this, like, wh- they look at the suffering Christian, they're like, where is God in your messy life? 
And our response need to be, needs to be Paul's response that as you suffer inwardly, as you suffer outwardly, you remain a Christian in the midst of it. That is the power of God. That is God's strength at work in you. The world says when you're strong, you're strong. Paul says when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because God shows this quite strong, and he's got me. Which begs this question that we have not answered yet. Like, what, okay, okay, so what is the comfort in affliction? As in, yes, we need each other. We need to know that we are not alone. But the actual comfort itself is not, hey, look at me, and if I got through this, you'll get through your junk Two, like when you go to comfort someone in their affliction, you're pointing to the comfort itself, which is not you. There's a movie, uh, it's small, it's a small New Zealand film from about five years ago. It's based on a book. The film is called Hunt for the Wilder People. Uh, it's written and directed by Taika Watiti. Uh, it's an action adventure comedy. Highly recommended. I cannot recommend this enough. Uh, it's about young, delinqu- young delinquent Ricky Baker. Has been in and out of the foster care system all of his childhood, and he's finally taken in by this older couple. The foster, foster dad, Hector, he goes by Heck, uh, Heck likes to keep to himself. You know, he prefers the quiet life of their farm out in the bush. You know, they're out in New Zealand, so they're out in the bush. The foster mom, Bella, is amazing. Like she loves Ricky Baker. She bonds with him. She convinces him of how special he is. But then Bella dies, leaving Ricky and Heck both just devastated with the loss of their beloved Bella. And, and that just, like, that's just the beginning of the movie. Like, that's just the beginning. Now you need to go see the movie. But Heck, Heck and Ricky, they go to Bella's funeral, which is it's being presided over this seemingly inept minister who's played by the film's writer and director, Taika Waititi. Uh, this is his funeral sermon. I've, just, I've got him in my head, so I'm going to try my New Zealand accent here. This may ruin it, but um, uh, he says, uh, you know, sometimes in life, it seems like there's no way out. Like a sheep trapped in a maze. Here it comes. Designed by wolves. You know that if you're ever in that situation, there are always two doors to choose from. Through the first door, Oh, it's easy to get through that door. And on the other side, waiting for you, all the yummiest treats you could imagine. Fanta, Doritos, LMP, burger rings, Coke Zero. But you know what? There's also another door. Not the burger ring door. Not the Fanta door. Another door that's harder to get through. He says, guess what's on the other side? Anybody want to take a guess? And Ricky, nervous, very nervous, he guesses. There's like no one in, there's no one, there are five people there at the funeral, and he just goes, vegetables? <laughs> and the minister, he's slightly offended, he's, no, not vegetables, no. And an old lady in the back, she, she says, Jesus? And the minister says, he says, you would think Jesus. I thought Jesus the first time I came across that door. And the old lady confidently says, Jesus. And then the minister says, Jesus, yeah, Jesus. He's tricky like that, Jesus. So let us pray to Jesus. Please make it a bit easier to get through those doors to find you 
and your bounty of delicious confectionery. Uh, and then the organ begins to play, and, and Heck leaves. He's mad. Uh, listen, I've heard a lot of terrible funeral sermons. That one is actually not bad. <laughs> like, really, because he's, like, he's not wrong. Like, what is your comfort in life? Well, is it prosperity? Is it avoiding, denying suffering and affliction at all costs? Like, that's one door to just run to the stuff that immediately makes us feel good. The other door is facing the affliction of life and finding Jesus in it. Jesus is the comfort in the affliction. It's not that I'm strong enough, I'm self-reliant. It's, it's that my suffering, it forces me to not rely on myself, but to rely on the God who raises the dead. It's so, it's so easy to skip over the opening lines uh, of the epistles because they're just like over and over. It's, oh, Paul's just saying the same thing over and over. Hey, what's up? Like Paul's greetings, grace and peace to you, blah, 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 blah. But Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To say, to say hey, grace from God our Father is no problem. Uh, to say grace comes from Jesus Christ is blasphemy. Unless Jesus is God. God who became man. And this is where we've got, we, we want to be, we, we want to know our real comfort in the affliction. Our comfort is not, it's not just, oh, our God knows suffering. Like our God is the God who suffers. Another pastor, Kevin DeYoung, has been a great help to me here in this. Of What we've got to know is our God is not in our mess. If God in heaven suffers, then God, like if he's up there in heaven suffering because we're suffering, then God coming to save us is just as much, if not more about God saving himself from his suffering as it is about saving us from our suffering. And so rescuing us, God's really rescuing himself. The Bible says that God reigns in heaven. It says he needs nothing from us. He always has and he always will delight in his own glory, the Trinity stuff. Like there is one God who exists eternally in three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Trinity, there is fullness of love, joy, fellowship, which we cannot add to or ever take away from. God is perfectly and fully content within himself. And that is what is so amazing is this God who is not in our mess, he gets involved in our mess. God's love really is all the more awesome because he doesn't need us to be His Love is actually for him to avoid suffering. God's love is actually all the more awesome because he does not need us. Which begs the question, okay, so why does God choose to do it? He doesn't owe it to us. He doesn't owe it to us to save us. What God does owe us is eternal wrath. He owes us suffering forever. He owes us eternal affliction because of our sin, because of our rebellion, and because he is totally just and good. Our comfort in the midst of our suffering is that the Son of God, out of love, extends his favor toward us, even though we have demerited it. That is grace. Grace is not unmerited favor. Grace is demerited favor. 
in the middle of your suffering, your great comfort is that the Son of God laid aside his immunity to pain in order to suffer for you, in order to take ultimate affliction for you. Kevin DeYoung, this other pastor, says it this way. He says, the incarnation of the Son of God, God becoming man, and then his death and crucifixion is more glorious, more mysterious, more loving, more gracious, because God in the person of Jesus was experiencing by his own free choice what God in himself had never experienced and would never again experience, human suffering. And it's only a God who can't suffer, but who took on humanity to suffer with us and for us in the person of Jesus, only that God can actually sympathize with us. Who cares about a God who feels pain and suffers as a God? A God who suffers as God actually is not with us, that God is not suffering as one of us as a human. So he doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't know what you're going through. I can't relate to a God who suffers because I'm human. That God really does not know what I'm going through. We need a God who knows exactly what it's like to be a human being. We need a God who knows exactly what we're feeling. So you're suffering physically. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, knows physical pain. You've been let down by a friend. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, was betrayed by his friends. and He's abandoned by his friends. You've got shame, and you live, you feel like you live alone. God, in the person of Jesus, hung naked, dying on a cross on Jerusalem's highway for all to see, totally forsaken. Like in Jesus and only in Jesus, God is with you, and he's got you. And this is where Jesus goes beyond what any, any of us can do for one another. He does not simply feel our affliction. He doesn't simply share our affliction. He has taken ultimate affliction in our place. And when he calls you home, or should he cease to delay and come back, you too will be triumphant over all affliction, over all suffering, over all evil. This is the God of all comfort. And he's going to get you through your mess. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each other. We thank you for the family you've given us here in this church. We pray that you, you just help us to, to, to actually look around, uh, but to look around, search in our hearts and know, believe, trust. We're not alone here. Uh, that we have people here who are with us who are for us. No matter the mistakes we have made, we know there's forgiveness. No matter the hurt we're in, we know others know hurt and pain, and we're not alone. Father, help us to gather around each other wisely, patiently, graciously to hold each other up, to walk along aside, uh, 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 aside one another, knowing that we're walking together to that, toward that final day, and knowing that you are with us, that you are in us, Father, we thank you for the greatest gift of your son who has done what we cannot do and who has taken that greatest affliction that we do not want to take on that cross. We thank you for him. We thank you for your love, which is undeserved. We thank you for your grace, which we have demerited. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would bless us to love one another 
and to love you with your love. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.